Thank you for listening to the Ablaze Church Sermon Podcast. Our purpose at Ablaze is to love God, love others, follow Jesus, and tell others. If you are looking for a church home in the Tulsa area, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. or Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at ablazechurch.org. Well, you know, a lot of events in life can be very, very vivid in our memory, and they stand out. And it's almost as if they're taking place and happening right now, right in front of us and right in our own experience. Uh, And I have a a bunch of those tucked away in my mind and my memory, things that uh, just can come back in in a great and a vivid way. Uh, Well, obviously, since my wife is sitting here, I want you to know our wedding day was one of those. And how about the days when our two daughters were, were born? Uh, and uh, for me, you know, being right there in the delivery room and uh, being part of that whole thing, uh, a very wonderful, exciting kind of a thing. My first communion, I remember that really very well in a sense of, of mystery. Hey, what's going on here? What what is really what is really happening? And how is God using that? How about uh, a seminary call day when I was being launched out into the ministry and I knew where I would be going for the first assignment, first call? Wow, the great state of Michigan. Well, you know, these things make images uh, on the screen of my mind, uh, which reminds me to just mention to you that there are going to be some, some images on the screens in front of you as I'm preaching. Uh, Brom, Brom Knapp had put together some uh, incredible images that are going to be accompanying this. So we get the audio as well as a visual this morning. We are in a series on hope. Yeah, uh, the... 2002, uh, 22, New Hope, uh, the new fire, and now we're talking about reigniting our hope and having that, that hope being alive for us. Don Cook, who did the introduction this morning, he gave us a, a message. That first one is on hope for a nation. He kind of told us, what is this hope thing really all about? And then the following week, I, I spoke about the hope of glory. Hope is in the future as well as also in the present in which God moves us to experience one degree of glory to another. And last week, Pastor Dreyer talked about false hopes, renouncing those false hopes, abandoning them, and finding the real hope, the authentic hope that comes in Jesus Christ. So today I'm going to be taking off of what uh, the prophet Zechariah mentioned in the, in the first reading that I had. He uses this little terminology, this little phrase, prisoner of hope. But, you know, uh, at the opposite end of that prisoner of hope, there is that I possibility, the opposite of abandoning all hope. Abandon all hope, all who enter here. Well, that comes from Dante's divine comedy as he is uh, it was written in 1320, and he says, it is written, it is inscribed in the doorway to hell. Abandon all hope, all who Enter here, and so that's become you know abandoning hope has kind of become a uh, a part of our ordinary language and phraseology. So uh, there had been an explosion. They're digging through the rubble, and then the newspaper report says after ten days the family had given up all, had abandoned all hope. 
of finding him alive. Now, we're going to little switch to the second uh, reading that I gave you this morning from the sixth chapter of John. Now, in the background of that, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. Wow, wouldn't that be great if, you know, if he could do that and give us bread and fish every day, wouldn't that be just great for the economy of our nation? <laughs> we really ought to get him as our king. And so they're chasing him. They're pursuing him. Jesus eludes them temporarily. And then um, the next time they see him, he says, you know, the loaves, the fish, yeah, that's, that's something. But you know what? I am the bread that has come down from heaven. I am the bread of life. I'm that manna that was prefigured by the manna in the, in, the, in the desert. I'm it. I'm everything that you need. At that point, people began to leave him because he was making what they thought was an outrageous claim. But when they abandoned Jesus, they were abandoning all hope. Now, I would like to, with your indulgence, describe an experience in my own life where I was standing on the edge. On the one side, there was hope, possibilities, possibilities. On the other, there was a pit of despair. And there I was, kind of teetering between the two of them, standing at that edge, dangerously close to abandoning all hope, maybe the darkest period of my life, a tunnel that... I was going to have to walk through, but even wondering if that was light at the end of the tunnel or just a freight train coming at me. Uh, I was surprised to find myself actually looking into the pit of despair because hadn't I always been someone that, you know, I always felt, hey, I'm in charge. I always get by. I'm resilient. I'm always upbeat. I'm, I'm one who picks up other people. They don't have to pick me up and so forth. Memory of this is pretty clear, quite clear. As a matter of fact, it was not a bad time in my life. A few years before that, I'd gotten married. That was good. I was ordained into the ministry. I was in my first position. I'd planted a new church, had a congregation, a bunch of nice people, loved them, great friends. But, uh, oh, yes, we also had two little daughters. To my delight, they were mischievous to their mother's <laughs> despair. Uh, yeah, she, she didn't like that so much. But I had that sense in the midst of all of this good stuff going on, even though we were always on the edge of poverty, you know, your first call, that first thing, and, you know, they can't afford to pay you very much and so forth. But uh, always on that uh, thing, but there's something more that's missing than just that. But I, I thought I had this God thing pretty well figured out. After all, I did have a degree from the seminary, and I was telling people every Sunday about God, though probably not very compellingly, convincingly, or uh, spontaneously. Uh, but, you know, I guess all things considered, should be okay, should be fine. And then one day, the bottom dropped out. It wasn't okay. The younger one, she got sick. Well, that wasn't unusual in our household. You know, little kids, they always get sick. She was about 18 months old. But uh, we got to the pediatrician. The diagnosis was meningitis. What's that? Well, it is an inflammation uh, of the lining of the brain. Oh, well, okay, so give her a shot and take her home. She, no, no, she will have to go to the pediatric ICU. But it's a brand new one, probably one of the best in the nation. 
she'll be taken care of there. So she's going to be all right. Uh, well, no, I didn't say that. Uh, I mean, she could live or she could die. Whoa, that got my attention. Well, um, if she lives, everything's going to be okay. Well, there could be brain damage. She could be blind, deaf. She could have a limp for the rest of her life. Dear God, what do I do? I also thought everything would be going my way. There she is in that hospital room, lying there, still and helpless. And so I'll try to help with my desperate prayers, but I didn't find anything in my little prayer book that covered that situation very well. Uh, I'm not sure I really knew how to pray. Somehow I knew that there had to be, if, if you're going to talk to someone, there needs to be some kind of relationship. And I'm not sure that I really had a very solid relationship with God, even though I could you know, preach about him. So she's lying there in that hospital. Sunday morning came along, tubes going in and out, had to leave, had to go to church, I had to preach. Well, but how could I inspire faith in others when my own faith is slipping? That day, the lectionary gospel reading was from the sixth chapter of John. The, the very same words that I read to you just earlier on, and um, as I'm preaching along and I'm holding on to my prepared script, and about halfway through, I said, I'm slipping. I'm slipping. This is not working. I'm going numb, and I'm going just through the motions. And, uh, it's almost as if my grip on God was loosening as I was preaching. I had to pause and I had to admit to the people my personal weakness at that point and tell people I was in a crisis of faith. And, uh, and it was like when Jesus asked the 12 disciples, and you, do you also want to go away? As they were walking away from Jesus. That was the voice of God personally to me, powerfully to me. In that moment of honesty, through which the words of Jesus question, and you, do you also want to go away? They, they really struck me. And I thought, I am coming to the end of myself. I really can't hold on much longer. And then the next verse came alive. Verse 68 of John 6, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, no place left except Jesus. And Peter's words became my words. And I released and I let go of my own effort to keep hanging on. And I was captured and I became a prisoner of hope. You know, I thought I was pretty self-sufficient, a free spirit. But when I finally surrendered, I began finally to become free, a process. It's a journey. Well, thank God, uh, Rachel got better, and she was whole. I was grateful, but at the same time, I wasn't so very happy about this. Uh, yeah, we had, at this point in life, still $300 left in an account. Had to take that all out, close up that checking a savings account, get her out of the hospital, 
and I was feeling a pretty deep hurt. There was a struggle that was going on inside of me. My faith was not by any means perfect. It was just like starting as a brand new child, still questioning God, resentful. God, what were you up to? Did you want to hurt my little girl and hurt us just to wake up some people who were kind of in a spiritual slumber, catching their attention? They only had token commitments. Did you want to wake them up? And then it came to me, no. God wanted to wake me up. And my heart, my heart started to yearn for a more intimate and personal relationship with God. You know, I had now to I had to see myself as a failed would-be teacher, and I had to become a humble beginning learning, a learner. The word of God, I had to learn and let it speak to my heart, not just to my mind for my theological. Uh, benefit, but to my heart. And to, to begin to connect with people, I thought that they had a fever. Their spiritual, you know, temperature was so high. I'll, and I thought I was normal, realizing I had spiritual hypothermia. And I felt like Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? No other option, no place left. Oh, yes, I had tried to be trendy. I had tried to be very clever. I'd even tried to pose it as intellectual, and you know that didn't work. And I had tried to be dynamic. How would that work for me, but how would that work for the people? How could I build a church like that? I was left with nowhere to turn. And as I'm kind of bumping around, I bump into Jesus because, you know, he was there all the time. He was in the path. He was just waiting for me. He found me. And through the word of God, and by investing time and investing heart in kind of like line by line, piece by piece, truth by truth, I, I didn't become a spiritual superstar. I, I became a prisoner of hope. And I didn't hold on to hope. Hope held on to me. Hope captured me and held me in the chains of God's love and God's grace. I didn't hold on to my faith. The object of my faith held on to me, Jesus. He was holding on to me, especially as my grasp was getting weak. It was the Father who was drawing me, as Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and now he was drawing me. You know, and I began to realize I'm, I'm probably not alone. I bet there are other people who sometimes find themselves in places where they just can't seem to to get anywhere. They just can't seem to move. They just can't seem to get where it is that they would aspire and want to be. They need a guide. They need the help. They need the plan. They need the person of Jesus Christ. They need to break free from being stuck. Now, When I read from Zechariah, the ninth chapter, these were the people, he's writing to the people of Israel. This is the prophet Zechariah. The people had abandoned all hope. You see, they had been defeated by the militarily superior, cruel, pagan Babylonians. They had been humiliated by them. 
a whole bunch of them had been hauled off into exile to the land of Babylon, away from their homeland, away from hope. And some were left behind, and they were totally demoralized. They were also prisoners without hope, the captives of defeat, no future to amount to anything. They were washed up as a nation. They had abandoned all hope. But now God sends hope in a hopeless situation. The prophet Zechariah, who brings a message, a powerful, life-giving, real hope that they could see their way into the future and a future series of hopes. Those future hopes, well, you're going to be returning. You are going to, the, the enemy is going to be destroyed and defeated and humiliated even worse than you were. And you are going to rebuild the temple, and you are going to rebuild the walls. You are going to rebuild your self-respect, and ultimately looks to that furthest mountain range out there, and there will be, there will be a Savior for you, Jesus Christ. Let me read from Zechariah 9 again. As for you, this is verse 12. As for you also, because of, now get this, the blood of the covenant. Now, if that doesn't point to Jesus, nothing does in the Old Testament. Oh, yes, it pointed back to Exodus in the 34th chapter. God has given the law, and then he has assembled uh, the elders of Israel on the mountain at the lower level, and then Moses takes, makes a sacrifice, and he takes the blood of an innocent lamb, and he spreads and he scatters that blood, and he says, the blood of the covenant. But that's not the end of it. That is pointing forward to when Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, will give his life. His blood will be shed and spread so that it grants to us, as, as we're reminded when we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. What cleanses us? the innocent blood of the Lamb of God. And then he says, and I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. You know, you ever have those dry places in life? Have you ever walked through a desert in life? I'm not talking about, you know, a literal uh, physical desert, but I'm talking about the spiritual desert in your life. And it gets so dry, and, and you feel like there isn't any life or vitality left. He says, I'm going to set you free from that. And then he says, return to your stronghold, your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Yeah, your stronghold. What is your stronghold? You know, a mighty fortress is our God, a mighty fortress. Let me read from Psalm 27. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now get this. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Okay, so you've been in a, like that kind of a waterless pit. You've been in that place where there's confusion. You've been in that place like feels like a prison and you're kind of stuck. Something's holding you. Maybe it's hurt from something in the past. Maybe it's the resentment that follows after that. Maybe it's facing impossible kinds of situations in your life, and you just don't know how you're going to get through it. Maybe decisions that you got to make, and you say, there's no way I can make the right decision. 
Uh, and maybe disappointments because life lets you down and frustrations that go along with that. How about guilt over past sins and that just comes, you know, bothering you again and then bothering you again and then bothering you again? How about the inability to conquer the present sins in life? Are you a prisoner maybe of your own expectations and ambitions and agendas? Do you know what? These can be prisons. These can be chains. These are part of what we experience in this broken world as sinners. But it doesn't end there. In contrast, there is the gentle, loving, embracing arms of a Savior that won't let go. Okay, the arms of the Savior... First, they reach out before they encircle. They reach out and are made a prisoner of a cross. <laughs> the loving arms of the Savior who took the little children and blessed them. Out there on the cross, nailed there, bleeding, suffering. Why? Because he wants to stand in our place, in the place that sin deserved. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His arms now, they won't let go, and they embrace you so that you can be a prisoner of hope, bound by cords of love and chains of peace, held in the freedom for which Christ has set us free, free from despair. And as we come to that cross, Jesus tears the bars away so that we are no longer bound in sin and without hope within but locked up in grace but the door is open. We're free to leave at any time, but we will not want to ever go. Safe in the Savior's firm embrace, which is the safest place. But Lord, to whom can we go? There's no place left. You have the words of eternal life. Let's be simple prisoners of hope in Jesus Christ.